0: Well, good morning, Evergreen family. It's a blessing to be able to share with you this morning from God's Word, and I'm also very excited about this series, John, The Final Charge. I'm grateful for Pastor Rocky giving me the opportunity to preach on this Lord's Day and for the privilege of uh, together learning from God's Word. And I know not everybody uh, knows uh, Sandy and me and our family uh, completely, although we've been here 20 years, uh, so I want to just do a short um, introduction. So Sandy and I were called to full-time campus ministry in 2000. I was a sales rep for a textbook company in Dallas, Texas, and we were called to full-time ministry among international students and moved to Arcadia. And we were introduced to Evergreen SGV by Carl and Shirley Asato. And so they were temporarily in Dallas for Carl's work, and when we came back here looking for a church family, uh, they invited us. The name of the ministry is International Students Incorporated, or ISI, and I serve as the Southern California Area Director for ISI, and our mission is to bring God's blessing to international students who come to study on our local campuses and universities from all over the world. And more than half of the students come from China or India, so that's been a big focus of ours, and not only do we welcome the students when, we, when they come, but one of our favorite parts is to visit them and encourage them and pray for them after they go back to their home countries. And so we also are particularly called to Japan right now. So Leslie, my daughter and I, who's here, have made three t- trips to Japan in the last four years to encourage and bless and pray for international, former international students. And so we're so grateful for this church family for supporting us and praying for us and uh, so much over the past 20 years. So we're celebrating two decades of ministry uh, through this church, and we're so grateful and looking forward to the next decade. Last week, Pastor Rocky preached, as Pastor Ron said, from John 14:1 to six, and we saw clearly that Jesus is the only way to heaven. This morning, I'm gonna cover John 14:7 to 14, 7-14. And so please stand for the reading of God's word and I'll be reading from the ESV. John 14, seven to 14. If you had known me, Jesus says, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will I do. Will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for its power, we pray this morning that we'll be able to learn from your word, to understand your word, and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I wasn't able to be here last Sunday, but I listened on Wednesday from the Evergreen website, and Pastor Rocky delivered a powerful message of hope and assurance regarding heaven. And it was very meaningful because my mom passed away nine days ago. So it was a, it was a wonderful encouraging message and very timely, obviously. Last March, my mom moved to an assisted living community in the small town where she lived for the past 50 years, Carpinteria, California. Anybody know Carpinteria, world's safest beach? <laughs> if you don't know Carpinteria, is about 90 miles north of here, just south of Santa Barbara. She had been living alone after uh, my stepfather passed away about eight years ago, and she was getting weaker and having some balance issues. But on her second night in the new place, she had a bad fall and ended up with a hematoma on her brain, so blood on her brain, and was in ER in very critical condition. And my brother and sister and I knew her wishes that she did not want any invasive procedures, and so we had her move to hospice in Santa Barbara to hospice care, a hospice facility. The doctor said she wouldn't live long. The chaplain was very negative, which was kind of disappointing that the chaplain didn't have much hope but when she had recovered her speech, she asked why she had not gone to heaven yet. And she knew John 14 too. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you for I go to prepare a place for you. She knew that Jesus had prepared a place for her in heaven, a room for her. Many prayed for her, including my 2,800 Facebook friends, very faithfully praying for her, and others in this church family as well. To the surprise of the doctors, she was able to eat, she gained strength, and she quote unquote graduated from hospice. After four weeks, I put her in the passenger seat of our van and drove her to Atherton Baptist Homes, where she lived for almost eight months before she passed away. She was still weak and needed a wheelchair, so she was moved into a private room in the skilled nursing area. and It was a huge blessing for me, for our family, because It's only 1.9 miles from our home in San Gabriel. So every day I could see her. And it was such a blessing those last eight months to see her. Also, to see many evergreeners there to be encouraged and prayed for as well. Um, And we'd we'd also see Auntie Rain in the workout workout room. So it was a great, great place. So encouraging. She had lived, as I said, she had lived in the same home for 50 years. So it was quite an adjustment to come to Atherton, but she was very happy to have a private room. She had everything in the room in its perfect place. She had a bedside table, her Bible, her devotional, she loved the upper room, her notebook, her lipstick and a mirror, a book, the meal menu, list of phone numbers of family and around her were photos, paintings of Carpinteria, and so she loved her room. That was her home, and it was perfect. It was amazing that she didn't miss Carpinteria. She was so happy to be in her room. In December, she began to have some uh, deeper health issues, so she was hospitalized with low sodium at one point, point. and in the hospital, she said, uh, sometimes she was thinking she was still in Atherton, still in her room, and I would say, no, mom, your room is at Atherton, and it's waiting for you. Don't worry, your room is waiting for you. She was stressed about not being in her room. Because she knew Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, she now has a room in heaven, and it's even more perfect than her room in Atherton, even though that was pretty perfect. So can you imagine how much she must love her room in heaven now? God prepared it for her, and that's our hope, that God has prepared a room for us. And that makes it, even though this is very hard, uh, uh, to grieve my mom's passing. I have a hole in my heart. And by the way, she loved to hear me preach, so one of the things I've, I wanted to do was continue preaching uh, because she loved to hear me preach, especially at Atherton. I preached at Atherton a couple times, and that was very challenging because it's former pastors, missionaries, <laughs> seminary professors, so I really had to be careful, um, but it was a blessing to be there. It was almost as hard as the children's messages, which are also uh, challenging. So Pastor Rocky uh, talked at the end of his sermon about how God knows every one of us. Pastor Ron just mentioned that. And so life is about knowing God in a personal, intimate way. And we'll see this morning that if we know Jesus, then we know God. And that's gonna be our focus this morning. John fourteen seven says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This word know is used three times just in verse seven, and actually 141 times in John, so that's a pretty important word. But it's interesting, there are several different Greek words that are translated to the English know. The first no is to know a fact. Before I was a textbook sales rep, some of you know I spent 10 years as a high school math teacher, in Carpinteria by the way, I love teaching geometry most of all. So I hope none of you have bad memories of geometry, but that was my passion. And I loved it because it was so logical. There were theorems and postulates and a lot of facts. And sometimes math facts are stated as conditional statements. Conditional statements, if you remember, or if you don't remember, are if, then. That's always the form, if something, then something. For example, and this I use this when I was a teacher all the time. If it is raining, then it is cloudy. Does that make sense? There has to be, cl- even though sometimes you can't see the clouds, I know. My students always to say, I was in the rain, there were no clouds. I said, somewhere there's clouds to produce the rain. So that is a conditional statement. And the, the if part is called the hypothesis, and the then part is called the conclusion. If the hypothesis is true, if it is raining, then the conclusion has to be true in a conditional statement. Then it has to be cloudy. One of my favorite conditional statements is used quite a bit in geometric proofs, and you see it up there. If A equals B, and B equals C, then A equals C. Anybody remember the name of that one? Then the youth are gone on retreat, unfortunately, because they would, they, would be, they would be all over this. The transitive property A equals B and B equals C, then A has to equal C. So I'm just showing you that if the first part is true, then the second part, the then part, has to be true. Does that make sense? So that's a conditional statement. That's the transitive property of equality. If the hypothesis is true, the conclusion has to be true. So looking at verse seven, the first part, as a math person, it's a very powerful conditional statement. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Sometimes in English, the then part is left off. It's, it's implied. So what this is saying is if you had known me, then you would have known my Father also. And do the disciples know Jesus? Yes, so Jesus, this is one of the most powerful proofs of the divinity of Jesus. And, but you have to know the conditional statement to have it really sink in. We can read over this quickly and not realize how powerful it is, this one statement, the first part of verse seven. If you had known me, then you would have known my Father also. So Jesus is saying that if his disciples or any one of us knows him, then they know God. And that's very powerful, that's a logical statement. But we see in verse eight that Philip wants more proof. He must have failed geometry because he says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. So Philip is saying, if you know God, then you will know Jesus, he's turned it around. Anybody remember the name of that, if you turn around a conditional statement? Called the converse, I'm so sorry about the math, but I'm passionate about math, and it is logical. In fact, one of my favorite math jokes is, uh, God loves math. He loves numbers. After all, he named a book of the Bible after them. The fifth book of the Old Testament is numbers. So, so that's, my, that's math humor. But, um, so the converse, you switch the if and the then. The converse of a tr- conditional statement is not always true, if you remember your geometry. So the converse of if it is raining, then it's is cloudy, is what? If it is cloudy, then it's raining. Is that true? No, many times it's cloudy, but there's no rain. Okay, so it's not true, and people do that all the time. They, they switch the if and the then. Uh, that's, one of the, that's a technique in advertising, by the way, to switch the if and the then. So Philip is saying that if we know God, then we'll know Jesus, and the reality is many religious systems, they say, yeah, we know God, so we know Jesus. That's not true. That doesn't follow. They have to know Jesus to know God. They have to believe that Jesus is God. And so Jesus criticizes Philip for not understanding this conditional statement. Those who know Jesus know God. That is the proven fact. And so it's also, so the first thing we realize from this passage, verses seven to nine, is that Jesus is, and I, again, using the math, is 100% human and 100% God. Okay, I like to look at it in math terms. But the unfortunate thing is this is not good math because 100% plus 100% equals 200%, okay? So this also proves the amazing miracle of God that 100% human plus 100% God equals 100% Jesus. So that's our formula for today, okay, that, that is true. So Jesus is God, that's the fact. The second no, and I'm so sorry for more, I, I love, for some reason I've led for math illustrations today. Second no involves, the first no is about knowing a fact. The second no understand, is understanding the truth behind the fact. Okay, so here we go. What is four divided by one third? And you're, if you're third, fourth, and fifth graders we'll all know this. Somebody shout it out. 12, okay. But, do you know why it's 12? Or did you just memorize, you flip and multiply. Most of you who got this, I, I suspect, changed the division sign to multiplication and multiply by the reciprocal. Some of you are smiling, some of you, I, I, I'm so sorry if this brings back bad memories. But I'll explain it. So four divided by one third is the same as four times Three over one, which is equal to 12, okay? But most people, even A students, don't understand the truth behind that, why it works. Why you flip the fraction, which is called the reciprocal. They don't understand the truth behind the fact, and that's the second no. One is knowing the fact. The second thing, do you really know how to divide a number by a fraction? And so you have to bear with me on this. Uh, um, when I practiced with uh, with Sandy, and and I actually practiced on the cat as well to see if she would get it. Uh, I have to do this slow. And don't worry if you don't completely understand this. Okay, that's not the point. It's an illustration. You can ask uh, one of the youth when they return from the retreat. So the reason that four divided by one three means uh, is is twelve is. When you divide by a number, you're asking how many times does that number go into a whole? So, dividing something by one-third means how many one-thirds will go into it. So, how many one-thirds go into a whole? Three, because one-third plus one-third plus one-third equals one, does that make sense? So, in a whole, there are Three one-third. this is just like math class, I'm so sorry though. <laughs> so if three one-thirds go into a hole, four is how many holes? Four, so four times three is 12. Okay, is that okay? Okay, so, but you see that's a whole different ball game than just memorize and you, you flip it and multiply. And then if you know it, then you can do something a little bit harder, like say what if you divide by a number by two thirds. Okay, well if you flip to two thirds, you get one and a half. And so you're saying how many one and a half, how many two thirds go into whole, and it's one and a half. Okay, write that down if you, if you want, but I'm not gonna dwell on that. But that w- that's the next level. So that's the truth behind the fact. If you n- really know that, because you see how it's different from memorizing it. So knowing the fact that Jesus is 100% human and 100% God is not the same as understanding the truth behind that fact. The truth behind the fact that Jesus is 100% human and 100% God is the gospel. That's why Jesus came. And the gospel, the reason that Jesus is 100% God, 100% human is that we are all sinners and we need a savior God's plan was to send a perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. So Jesus was born on Christmas morning, lived a perfect sinless life, then died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. If we put our faith in Jesus, then we can be reconciled to God and receive the gift of eternal life. Understanding the truth behind the fact is what the gospel is. Do you understand that? We can just memorize the gospel and repeat it but if we understand the reason behind the gospel, why did Jesus have to come? Why is Jesus 100% God? That's a whole different level level of knowing, and so that's what this passage is about. Understanding that Jesus is 100% God, not just knowing the fact. Moving on, we'll look at verses 10 to 12, and in verses 10 to 12, the word believe comes four times. So reading that again, do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus is speaking again to his disciples. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. That's verses 10 to 12. So Jesus is saying that belief in the fact that Jesus is 100% God and 100% human should equal a commitment to works or action. He's saying that's what belief is. Commitment to, to action, to doing something for God. As many of you know, my wife, Sandy, is a PE teacher, the PE teacher, and athletic director at San Gable Christian School. One of the hardest parts of being an athletic director is finding quality coaches for the sports teams. It's especially challenging at a Christian school because you have to find a coach who's experienced and knows the sport, has a strong faith in Christ, is free at 3 p.m. every weekday for practices and games, and whose godly value is, interested in, in, is an interest in discipling and mentoring middle schoolers. So I told her that this, it's very hard, I'll pray for you, but I told her that often it's the spouse of the athletic director. So now I'm in my second year of coaching basketball <laughs> at San Gabriel Christian School. After the previous coach uh, is not there anymore. He was coaching his granddaughters and then he was coaching his grandson, so now I'm actually coaching both the boys and the girls, filling big shoes. Can you guess who the previous coach was? (laughs) Pastor Corey. He had those qualifications, he has those qualifications in spades. And also SGCS is blessed to have another highly qualified coach, Charlotte Seto, serving as the soccer coach. In addition to teaching high school math in the past, I also coached high school basketball, so I came out of retirement. When I coached, there was no three-point line even. That's how long ago it was. And one of the keys to winning basketball games is defense. If you don't know sports too well, defense is when the other team has the ball. A good defense makes it hard or impossible for the other team to score. As a player, I hated to play against teams that focused on a tough, intense, Full court, man-to-man defense. That means trying to stop the other team, not just when they come to the front court, but stopping them in the back court, the whole court. You might as well use it, right? If the, if the whole court is there, why let them walk it up the court and let them get there? So, it's, so that's a very uh, uh, intense def- way to play defense. It's tiring, it takes a lot of effort. I, I hated it, I, usually, I used to uh, use defense to rest for my offense. I don't want to get too tired on defense so I can score more, right? But that's, that's one reason I want to focus on defense. I don't want my players to know that. So I teach my teams to give maximum effort and play this intense, full-court, pressure, man-to-man defense. At first, the players knew the facts about the defense. Here's the illustration. I, don't want to get, I love basketball, too. Um, not as much as geometry, Uh <laughs> Players knew the facts about the defense. I can explain it to them. They can memorize what to do, why it would work, but I don't think they believed it fully. They didn't understand, they didn't believe. They, sometimes they can go through the motions. But now, partly due to their belief and their commitment and knowing deep down why it can be successful, it's been amazing. Their effort is amazing. And it's hard to keep up this kind of effort for a long time, so uh, every two minutes of the game, there's four or five new players who come in. So it's, a, it's like hockey, a constant substitution because that way they can go and give maximum effort. So we have 14 girls on the team, they all play every half, every quarter as a rotation. Uh, the boys' team only has 11, so I substitute every three minutes because it's, um, it's tiring. But the, the, the reason this is successful is the players don't just know the defense and the truth behind it, they believe in it and they're committed to action. That's what this passage is about. Belief leads to action and commitment to that action. In fact, in our last game before Christmas break, the girls team team did so well with their action, with their defense, that we beat a large public school, 10 times enrollment of SGCS. I won't say what it is, uh, 22 to 21. So that's good defense, holding them to 21 points. And by the way, we call the defense Genesis, because it's in the beginning. We sometimes play half court defense, which we call Exodus, and we exit the back court. And then we also have another defense called Leviticus, which has lots of rules. I love, I love coaching a Christian school, by the way. And then our offensive plays, I love to honor the, uh, the minor prophets. So our zone defense is Zechariah. Remember Zechariah, the next to last book of the Old Testament. And then our man-to-man defense, of course, has to be Malachi, the last book. So that is fun. And uh, why not teach biblical literacy to the officials, the other other teams as well? So in the same way that the belief in the style of defense leads to commitment to action, believing that Jesus is 100% human and 100% God should lead to a commitment to to action, that's what this is about. In verse 12, Jesus is talking not about basketball defense or math, he's talking about something else. Verse 12 again, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. This is describing the result of the belief. It says if we believe in Jesus, we need to do what Jesus did while he was on earth. When we think about what it means to do what Jesus wants us to do, what he tells us to do, I usually point to Matthew 22:37 to 39. Jesus was asked, almost as a challenge, what is the greatest commandment, which means what should we focus on? And he replied with two things. Matthew 22:37 to 39. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is saying we need to love and worship God, and out of that comes love for our neighbors. And so the natural question is, well, who are my neighbors? And don't forget what Jesus replied when he was asked that question, who is my neighbor? He replied with a parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, in Luke 10, 29 to 37, if you wanna look it up later, this was addressed to the Pharisees. In the parable, Jesus is talking exactly about what we're talking about this morning. He drew a strong contrast between those who know the law, the fact of the law. The Pharisees were very good at knowing the facts of the law, but did they believe in the law? Did they understand the law? No, they, and they were not committed to the actions that that belief should lead to, the works. And so, who was the one that helped the, uh, the man who was hurt, who had a need? It was the Samaritan, okay? And the neighbor, who was the neighbor? Anyone in need. And that was, the, even the Pharisee a- answered that question. And so, need is not just spiritual need, as we know parables have a sp- uh, not just physical need, but a spiritual need as well. And so, anybody who has a need, physically, spiritually, that's our neighbor. And Jesus tells us, if we believe, we can keep going when things are tough, but we also need, are, f- should feel compelled to do what Jesus commands us to do, which is love God and love our neighbor. Looking back at the illustration of the difference between knowing a fact about math, like how to divide a fraction, I'm so sorry, for, but I, this might be, I think this is the last mention of math. How to, the fact of how to divide by a fraction Understanding the truth behind that fact leads to greater works. If we apply that passage, what would be a greater work than geometry? Calculus. (laughs) Believe it or not, when I taught calculus, most of the mistakes were made because students didn't understand what it means to divide by a fraction. They didn't understand what it means to add fractions with unlike denominators. Things like that. The, those facts, they would me- if they memorized that earlier, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't understand how to do calculus, which is, the math actually is not that hard, it's the, the foundation needs to be there. Some of you are nodding your heads, right? I hope so. So understanding the facts, the truth behind the facts, believing in the facts leads to su- greater works, success in calculus. The calculus student who understands those facts but just memorizes them cannot do the greater works. So think about a person who memorizes a gospel message but doesn't understand it. He or she is not likely to follow the commandment of Jesus to love God and love their neighbor because that's the, that's the greater works Nor to do what Jesus wants them to do. And so we need to make sure we understand the truth of the gospel and one of the most important aspects is that Jesus is 100% God, and what does that mean? So this is the truth of the second part of verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. The greater works are promised to those who believe, and so we are compelled to figure out what those greater works are, and for each person it's different, it could be, math but it could it should be something that serves god and brings our spiritual gifts into play so the second point belief in the divinity of jesus should lead to action belief in the divinity of jesus should lead to action the final section of this passage describes one of the most important actions for us prayer I love the commitment to prayer in this church. So many have prayed for our family over the last 20 years. It's made such a difference. We know things have happened only because of prayer, the prayer warriors of this church. So I'm so happy to see her here. Just a prayer warrior. So when we look at verse 13, it talks about pray, asking in my name. This falls directly from our belief in the divinity of Jesus, that he is 100% God. Asking in the name of Jesus. After my son Hudson's high school football games, the parents usually wait outside the locker room for their sons to come out, and I usually don't pay much attention to watching everyone come out. I'm talking to people, I'm, I'm uh, maybe off to the side. So a couple times, Hudson came out, and he, he called dad, dad, even pretty loudly, but I didn't hear him, because there are a lot of dads there, right? But when I didn't respond, he would say, Andy Pierce. Not that loud, and he doesn't call me that, obviously, but he'd say, Andy Pierce, and I'd turn immediately, right? Because he called my name. It's because I know my name, it's a unique name, there are no other Andy Pierces there waiting for their sons after the football game. And so I'm also recognizing that Hudson is calling out to me with a need. He needs a ride home. (laughs) As a dad, that's who I am. I am someone who wants to fulfill the needs of my kids. It's in my character to want to love and serve my children. It's in the character of God when we call his name to love and serve his children, us. But we need to call him by name. You see how powerful that is? As many of you know, when I'm with Indians, I don't say my name is Andy Pierce. I think last time I shared, I I told you my Indian name is Anand Patel, A-N-A-N-D, and then Patel. Why? Because when Indians call me Anand Patel, instead of Andy Pierce, it gives them a sense that I understand them and that I love them. It's a very powerful thing to call someone by the name and know that they understand you and they love you. And you know I love everything Indian, especially the food. So I don't just know the facts about India, I love the culture and it's part of, it's part of my character. Also, the name Anand has a, has, has a meaning, it means joy in the Indian languages. It's wonderful to be named after the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be named Joy, I wouldn't call myself Joy if I was not a, a male, right, in English. And then one out of six from the Gujarat state of India have a last name of, have, are from the Patel community. So when I say I'm a Patel, you know, then I'm part of their family. And so this is, this is the power of the name. The name Jesus also has great meaning. We've been talking about that. When, I, when we call Jesus by name, it's a very powerful way to say that we understand him and we love him just in the same way that he understands us, he knows us, and he loves us. And uh, this, yeah, this, uh, the Indian food is, is uh, has that already been up, here, up there? I have to show one picture of eating Indian food. This is a Patel family in a hotel in Hawthorne, California. Many Patels uh, own and manage independent hotels, and the best restaurant in the world is a Indian woman's kitchen. Indian kitchen, that, some of men are good cooks too, so J.K. Lee and I love to eat Indian food together. So sometime we'll go to a, uh, to a, a hotel, but look at that feast, it's unbelievable. But That's another way to understand and to love. Uh, eating their food also helps us to love them. And uh, so, praying in Jesus' name doesn't mean memorizing that we should say in the name of Jesus, which is what we do sometimes or ending our prayers by saying in the name of Jesus, or saying dear Jesus, it means telling Jesus that we understand him and that we love him. It also means praying in a way that is aligned with his character and his will for the things that will give God glory. That's what these verses are talking about. It also means praying in the authority of Jesus. So many of my prayers are related to opportunities to exercise my spiritual gifts. I know they give joy and glory to God if we are exercising our spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are to edify the body of Christ. And also, when we are using our spiritual gifts, we receive joy as well. You can tell how joyful I am to explain math to you. I'm so sorry, but that gives me joy. That's why I love teaching. I love teaching anything, tennis, Badminton, even though I don't know what I'm doing, I I like to teach. (laughs) And I love, of course, to teach the Word of God. That's one reason we're in international student ministry to teach God's Word to internationals. So I always pray in the name of Jesus for opportunities to teach for God's glory. Looking for opportunities and praying for that opportunity and also praying for opportunities to put into action what my belief means. So my action is to teach. Last fall I began to pray in the name of Jesus for an opportunity to tutor middle school school students in math. Those, and those, especially those who really need it, those who have the need. My daughter Leslie started to work at a new Chick-fil-A in Monterey Park last summer. Some of you know it right on the 60 freeway. And when my kids do something, I, I dive into it. So my daughter Sarah is a climber, so now I'm a climber. Hudson enjoys football, plays on the football team, so I'm the announcer for the Maranatha football games. So whatever they're doing, I dive into it. And so I dove into Chick-fil-A, started to spend a lot of time there. I have the app, so I have a lot of points lined up. Uh, met the owner, and as I prayed, uh, and I you know, love the culture, the values, and the food, uh, especially the mac and cheese. I highly recommend the mac and cheese. It's only been there uh, a couple months, right, Leslie? I was, the first day it came out, I heard about it and I was there getting the mac and cheese, by the way. Uh, early adopter. It's just like my mom's, actually. Uh, so, uh, so I met the owner and As we shared our hearts and learned that he had a heart for the community, the neighbors around him, I had a vision from God of partnering with a nearby school called Temple Intermediate School in Rosemead and offering free math tutoring at Chick-fil-A for middle school students who need help with math. And I didn't know what anybody would think about it, but the Chick-fil-A owner said, great, uh, here's a time when it's not so crowded. There's tables in the back of the Chick-fil-A uh, that are free about you know, 5 p.m. And I went to the principal of Temple Ridge School and no appointment, just walked in after a lot of prayer and I met him. He was in the office when I walked in. And we went to his office and I explained that just my passion for math and wanting to, uh, to bless students by helping them with math. And so, this coming Wednesday, we're starting tutoring at Chick-fil-A, at 5 p.m. Uh, to 6:45, and we need a few more experienced math tutors. So, if you are if, just for one, I'm going to be there every Wednesday. Can you tell? I'm so excited about it. But, uh, but uh, we have Rob Nishikawa lined up already, and so, uh, uh, and uh, so we need a f- if you are experienced in math, if if you understood a little bit of what I shared this morning. Um, or a lot, uh, I encourage you to uh, uh, talk to me. We also are looking for a college student or young adult who would want to be an assistant tutor as well. So uh, please let me know. But this is, you see that this is something that will give glory to God. The purpose is loving our neighbors and it gives glory to God. This is an action step and it's using a spiritual gift. I receive joy when I'm serving God, when I believe in the gospel, when I'm using my spiritual gifts, God's getting the glory. Sandy is joyful when I'm serving her, and because I know her, I know what helps her to feel joy. Do we know God well enough to know what brings joy and glory to God? So the third point is that prayer in the name of Jesus should lead to glory for God. It's all started with prayer. And not only do we have the privilege of knowing Jesus by name, but Jesus knows our name. I love John 10, 14. It says, I am the good shepherd. This was preached on a couple months ago. I know my own, and my own know me. That's two no's, and this is a third level of no. Beyond knowing the fact, beyond knowing the truth behind the fact, but this is a deep relationship and intimate knowledge. And the amazing fact is that Jesus chooses to know us. My mom knew Jesus like this. That's how I know that she's in heaven and that, that gives such hope. And we should desire to know Jesus at this level. Many of you already do. About two years ago, we noticed two kittens and a mother cat in our neighborhood with no owner. They would come to our porch looking for food, I think. The kittens were afraid of us, but the mother cat was, kind of, was cautious, but she would also purr. When we looked at her, she'd start purring. They, became to come, they began to come more often, and eventually the mother cat would even allow us to pick her up, even though she was a stray. She had no collar, no, uh, no owner. So here's a picture of, of Leslie on our front sidewalk, and this is when she was cautious. We see the food there, that helps a little bit. But why did she choose to come to our house? Other houses had food, by the way. In fact, we put out dog food first, because then we didn't have any cat food. So we, put out, we had bad food for her, but, but they came. Uh, Why was she so affectionate? She trusted us and she chose us. She chose our house. After about a month, Sandy and my daughter suggested we catch the cats and keep one for a pet while giving the others to a friend. I resisted for good reasons. One daughter was allergic to cats. Our landlord didn't allow dogs or cats. Those are two good reasons. So we caught all three and took them to a kind friend's house. When we visited though, we saw that the the mother looked right at me and my heart melted, and so I texted our landlord, and he said, yes, no problem, you can have a cat. We had a plan to keep her away from my uh, daughter who's allergic, and of course she went straight to my daughter when we brought her home, and so now we have a wonderful affectionate cat. The cat chose us, even if I resisted. When I resisted, my heart was drawn to her, and that's how it is with Jesus. He chooses us, even if we resist. He is after us. I love Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The cat, actually, she didn't knock on her door, but it was just like that. Even when we resist, Jesus pursues us. Even if we resist, he doesn't give up. He wants our hearts. And by the way, our cat behaves like a dog. Uh, She guards our house. Uh, here, here she is in action. We bought a guard tower for her. So she's looking out over in the neighborhood. But uh, she, she's very vocal, not barking, but she's, she, when we say something to her, she says something back. Uh, she follows us around the house, especially Leslie and me because we feed her. And uh, so she's like a cat, like a dog, although she's afraid of lawnmowers. So when the lawnmower comes, she goes right under the bed. So she's not a very good uh, guard cat. And we named her Autumn. This is, this is again, the importance of name Autumn because God gave her to us in autumn of 2017 in November. So that helps us to remember. I th- we think she wants to be 100% cat and 100% dog, but she ne- can't even be 50% cat and 50% dog. It's impossible. Even though that's good math, 50 plus 50 50 is 100%. But do you see how amazing it is that Jesus is 100% God while being 100% human? That was our first point. It's not only possible, it's the fact. It's proven to be true. We have seen the logic this morning. The disciples have seen the logic. It's a proven fact that Jesus is fully God, and we can't let anybody change our minds about that, even by switching the if and the then. Don't let them do that. Don't let others say, well, I know God, so I know Jesus. It's not true. And then we've also seen that believing in the divinity of Jesus leads to action. It means doing what Jesus wants us to. Because we believe. The belief leads to action. Loving God. If you're not sure what to do, just love God and love your neighbor. That's what Jesus tells us to do. And greater works are promised. We need to figure out what that is by praying and listening to God's voice. Asking in the name of Jesus for things. Asking for things that will bring glory to God. Which is usually exercising our spiritual gifts. And finally, Jesus hears us when we Call him by name. The name Jesus has power and authority, and he chooses us to know him at a deep and intimate level. All glory to God, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus on Christmas morning to us to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Father, that Jesus chooses us. He knows our name. And Father, we pray that we will each understand even at a deeper level what it means to believe and to know Jesus. And we pray, Father, that you'll lead each of us into action so that we can exercise our spiritual gifts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.